0: So you know we did that. Uh, the second song, you remember the second song we did, and the second song said, "If you ask of me, I'll give you the nations." And we don't ask of God in order to rule over the nations. Jesus will do that. So that's the dispensational doctrine. That's the millennial application. Jesus will ask of God; He will give Him the nations to rule over. But we ask of God. And God sends us to the nations. So Jesus says he doesn't want us to rule over the nations. He wants us to make disciples of all the nations. And so, um, you know, I'll direct your attention out in the lobby at the uh, welcome desk to the new um, missions newsletter that we have out there. And you will find out in my column right here on the front. I list several things, but a couple of things that we've done In this last year, we become the sending church for a brand new missionary couple, Chad and Ray Brockmeyer, in Serbia, and we become a sending church for a veteran missionary couple, uh, the Browns. So Phil and Gloria Brown, who are with us today, they were in the last service and I introduced them, brought them up, we prayed for them. Uh, He's preaching in our Spanish class right now, which because we have no room here, meets over at our office uh, at the moment. So they are here, but they're meeting over there. And, you know, I told everybody um, I wanted us to pray uh, especially for them uh, because uh, in addition to the fact that that um, uh, Scott lost that they so they're sending church that they had had a change in pastors. And for whatever reason, the new pastor said, we don't want to be your sending church. So, uh, okay, so then I've known um, Scott for a decade, since the 90s, when he was a student in our shepherd school, our Bible Institute that we had, and followed him. I tracked him kind of on Instagram and other things. He went through a severe, I mean, incredible battle with uh, cancer, and, uh, you know, at the moment, that's that's still in remission, praise the Lord. Um, But we watched him walk through that, and then somehow I'd contacted him. they have been up here before for different things that we've done. So it's kind of a no brainer when he said, Look, you know, I, I need a new sending church now. Okay, well, let's do that. I uh, lost his mother right before Christmas. So Lori passed uh, right before Christmas. And, and then they have a couple of sons, and one of the sons that helps him there in ministry is going to be leaving the end of this month to go to Indiana to be the worship pastor, the discipleship pastor, and the youth pastor at a church in Indiana. And that's a good thing. And that's no big deal. But he's taking his, you know, he's taking their daughter in law and five month grandchild with him. That is the big deal. So that is why we need to we need to pray for them. And so go ahead and bump elbows with your neighbor. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer and thank him for today. God, we thank you for you actually, Lord, you made this a super Sunday. I mean, I, I I don't even know what to say how super you made it with the numbers of people that we've been able to baptize today in both services, with the opportunity we've had to share your mission with some of uh, some of those who, as, as Paul calls them, are the glory of God to us because we can't go to the nations to make disciples. Not all of us can go to the nations and make disciples. And so, Lord, we... Get behind those who can go in our place, and we want to pray to support them. We want to give to support them. God, we thank you for them. I thank you that the Browns are with us today. ask you to bless them as they uh, make other visits at other churches uh, uh, here in the States while they're here. Pray that they'd find favor. ask you to be with them when they go back. And be with us now as we look into your word together. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated in the Lord's presence. And It's a Sunday before Valentine's Day, and so we've had a little, a little bit of a gift for all the ladies. I hope that you got your gift as you came in. If you did not, make sure you get one um, uh, uh, on the way out, but I think a rose and maybe some chocolates or something like that. And uh, So we gave that to all the ladies for Valentine's Day, and really I wanted uh, to give an uh, uh, entirely different gift. I wanted to give a t-shirt uh, like this. So I wanted to give a T-shirt like this. <clears throat> know your place and shut your mouth, Jabroni. Now I, you know, that was Kelsey's statement, which he made toward the mayor of Cincinnati. But I, you know, and I don't know. I just heard that actually he heard that phrase first out of Brittany Mahomes' mouth because. Patrick was uh, harassing her verbally somehow. So I don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. But I thought, well, surely all the ladies would appreciate a t-shirt like that today. I just couldn't get that together. And so, so we gave you some other stuff instead. Also, as you um, got your hint out for this morning, uh, among the other things in the bulletin is a list of our nominees for 2023 Deacons. And so I direct your attention to that. And um, you know, you guys nominate them and then we, uh, so just, you know, we just try and go biblically. Acts chapter six, you nominate them, we select them. Um, so out of the names you've submitted, um, you know, I, if, if you're here and your name is on this list and that's a surprise, I apologize. We tried to get with you, uh, in advance. If you want to decline, just let us know and, you know, we'll take it off next week. So over this, uh, this Sunday, next Sunday, so for a couple of three weeks here, we're going to publish that list. Um, If a name you suggested doesn't appear here, it may be, you know, for two or three reasons. Um, uh, You know, one thing, they may have declined uh, just uh, for personal reasons or whatever reasons they may have had. Um, And uh, secondly, you know, it may be a great, great person, but they've not been discipled, or great guy, but not... Uh, not been here very long, or a great guy, but there might be other reasons. So, uh, you know, we're going to talk about one of those reasons even today. If if someone doesn't have enough faith in their finances to do what God requests and requires, well then, you know, I don't know anybody's giving, but I've always told the people who record the giving, uh, look, if I'm going to put somebody in leadership and they are not giving... And that's obvious, then tug on my coattail, because I don't think that's fair to anybody else. So, so there may be some reasons, but as you look at that list, if you have a concern about any of those names, I'd say first, you know, go and talk with them. If it's still a concern, we'll then contact one of our pastors. Uh, and you can always email the office, that's fine. Uh, but otherwise, we'll be celebrating installing this new group of deacons once it's, you know, all finalized over the next couple of weeks on March 5th. Uh, during that Sunday morning service, if you have your Bible with you, turn to the Gospel, of Luke chapter 16. One Sunday, a pastor told his church, "You know, we need to take up a special offering because we got to replace our roof." Now, I didn't choose this story because we need to replace our roof, but uh, like Brett mentioned about uh, the leaks, uh, you know, I think we'll spend seventy-five grand. Uh, I, I think. I mean, maybe it'll be only 50. I don't think it'll only be 25. I think we'll get into it, and then the roofers will say, no, you need this and this and this. So it would not surprise me that we're not going to spend $75,000 on a new roof here shortly so that we can eliminate those leaks and things like that. But, and however, there is a pastor who, you know, had that situation in his smaller church, and so he asked people to prayerfully put something extra in the offering. And then he said, you know what, whoever gives the most money today, uh, I will let them pick out three hymns. And after the offering, he saw that somebody had put in a $1,000 bill, and he was so excited, he immediately shared that with the congregation, he said, you know, I'd like to personally thank that person that put that much money in the plate for, uh, you know, a new roof, and who did that, and... A very uh, quiet, meek, uh, saintly, elderly lady all the way in the back. She just shyly raised her hand. And so the pastor asked her to come to the front, and she slowly made her way down to the front to the pastor. And he told her how wonderful it was that, you know, out of all people, that she a widow and she would give that much money. And in Thanksgiving, he asked her to pick... To pick out three hymns. And her eyes lit up and she looked out over the congregation. She said, I'll take him and him and him. I don't see why you didn't get that. Because it is amazing what kind of motivation money can be. And yet, less than 10% of all seminaries have any teaching on biblical stewardship or church finances. That means we got a whole generation of pastors uh, who are not taught the principles of biblical stewardship or how to model biblical funding. And uh, that shouldn't be any surprise because biblical stewardship is really tied to the central doctrines of salvation. Uh, God gave and God purchased. And uh, that's the basis of stewardship. It's the whole idea that a your life as a Christian is the personal possession of God. Acts 20 verse 28 says the church of God was purchased by God with his own blood. Although you will not read it that way. You will not, it does not say that it was the blood of God which purchased it in the ASV, the RV, the RSV, the NRSV, the CEV, the NCV, the Net Bible, or the voice. But in as much as 1 Timothy 3.15 says the church of God is the house of God, then in essence, God purchased a house for his son using the God blood in Jesus. But now here's a dealio. Stewardship is not just tied to the doctrine of salvation. Stewardship is tied to the doctrine of the second coming. Because while God purchased a house, the owner's not come back yet to take possession And so the reality of the fact, and this is a thesis for our study today, is that stewardship is our occupation of something that God owns. Jesus is coming to earth again, oh that it were today. And when he does, he comes to occupy a house he has bought. In the meantime, he leaves a house sitter in his place, Here in Luke chapter 16, the person is left in charge and is called a steward. So it is that 95% of the pastors in America don't face up to this. I mean, they don't have any knowledge of this. I don't want to be one of those type pastors. Here's our first point for study. Many people do not do right by salvation in the second coming because we've not taught them the concept of living as a steward. So they do not get right in evangelism. They do not do right in sanctified living because we allow them to get away with a Christianity that is less than occupying till he comes, Luke 19.13. So let's start with some basic foundational definitions in this and then let's expand there to the doctrine of biblically structured funding. Stewardship is a contraction of two English words, to stow which means to place something, and then to ward, which means to keep something. So let me hit you with the definition. A steward is a person who has something placed in their safekeeping. So a steward is a master's servant who's designated a manager. The job of that steward is to administrate the household of the master while the master is away. So when Jesus saves us, he makes us not only a saint who is bound for heaven, he makes you a steward who is bound on earth. And when we try and live for God without being taught biblically structured finances and funding and giving to God's house, then we fall on our face. Why? Well, look at our second point for study. (coughs) We fall on our face because... Money is really only an application of the bigger principle of what it means to manage your life toward God's mission. I mean, obviously, money's, money's nothing. It's got to be a picture, an application is something bigger. Money's nothing, you know that, because of cryptocurrency. It's not, I mean, it's nothing, it's literally nothing. Money. If you have money in your pocket, it's nothing, it's printed paper. That we call money. But a steward is a manager of the resources someone else gives them. So if we do not teach people biblical funding, then we condemn them to fail in their life management. God owns your life. He bought it when he saved you. And God will not let you take what belongs to him, not acknowledge him as God, and then just flaunt it as your own. How did God designate his ownership of the promised land, for example? So how did he designate that he owned the promised land that he was bringing Israel into? Well, it's when they fought their first battle at the first city. That was Jericho. And he stipulated that they do certain things with the spoils of war of that first city. So God made them physically display his ownership of that land and therefore their stewardship of all of his resources in his place. And he did that by demanding they kill everything, take no spoil, and burn the whole city. Now that was only on the very first city. So why was God so upset when Achan took the wedge of gold and the Babylonish garments? I mean, it was only a jacket. Why should he be so upset? And you know, when the agnostics review this story on ancient mysteries of the Bible, they always paint God as a violent ogre for this because it was only only one garment. Well, yeah, that's true, but the spoils of that first city were consecrated to God himself because they displayed two things, God's ownership and God's people's management of those resources in his place. So God demands we show his priority in our life by taking one-tenth off the top. And that's a consistent principle from Abraham before the law with Melchizedek and, and to Jacob before the law and then through Moses and to Paul and down to today. And it's such a small portion, but it's the first portion. And that first portion has to be dedicated to God through his structure, in order to show his ownership, display your management, and fund your ministry. God wants to have first lien because it's his property. All your property is his property, so we have to disciple people to teach our next generation to treat God in a priority fashion. God doesn't want you to take what he owns and decide what he gets with what he owns. And that is why it is spelled out, it's stipulated, even before the law. But what I want you to see is here in Exodus 34, verse 26, where it says, The first of the firstfruits of thy land thou shalt bring unto the house of the Lord thy God. So one of the reasons that you give God the leftovers of your life is because you give him the leftovers of your giving. Hello, somebody. And, you know, if you sit back there and you say, you know, Alan, you know, I got this real problem. I can't give up cigarettes. I'm still a -a pack-a-day person. Alan, I got this problem. I mean, I'm still a case of beer a night. That's a problem. You know, Alan, I still got this problem. you can list uh, off whatever you want, pornography, any number of things. Okay. So uh, let me give you a prescription. Why don't you start, if you're saved, why don't you start with getting discipled? Are you discipled? Sign up for discipleship. Start there. Have you saved and you've not been baptized, why don't you start with getting baptized? Uh, How about you just be obedient on that? Okay, you're born again believer, you come here. Why don't you start tithing? I mean, all I'm saying is, why don't you give God the obedience that you can give Him in the things that you can do and then see if He does not give you strength In the things that are overwhelming you. I mean, God is very real with us. He says, Look, try me. You test me. You see if you can make me fail. You just see. You do this. You give obedience to the things you can. You just see if I won't give you strength. You see if you can break me. I don't think you can. God says, "I don't just want the first fruits; I want the first of your first fruits." Why? Why give him the first of the first fruits that he gives us to manage? Well, first, letter A, because it declares God's ownership in your management, and second, letter B, it also gives God credit for your harvest, and that's another area that we woefully lack in this lukewarm, Laodicean and age. We want to say thank you the easy way. But you know what? Talk is cheap. Amen, ladies? Talk is cheap. Romance with no finance is a nuisance. So unless we have biblical principles of funding operating in our church, then God is not owner and you are not manager, and we've stopped believing that the harvest is dependent on God. You know, the old preacher said, every now and then, you got to preach in such a way that nobody's going to say hi to you after the service. This is, this is that Sunday. Back in Luke 16, how did the steward waste the rich man's goods? Well, there's only one way that a steward can waste his master's goods, and that's, not, that's by not using the master's goods for the master's benefit. So verse 2, and he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Now wait, I want you to, I want you to read verse 2. Because if you are saved, if you're born again, that is exactly what you are going to hear one day at the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14, 12, 2 Corinthians five ten. Verse 3, then said the steward within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me this stewardship I cannot dig, to beg I am ashamed. Stewardship's related to a Greek word which means economy or administration because really you cannot separate the two. Um, our government has an administration that administration wrangles with Congress uh, over the budget and over funding. Why? Well, this is our third point for study. Because your ability to administer your policies is directly tied to your control of your economy. It was James Carville who said, it's the economy, economy, stupid. So stewardship really encompasses an administration of God's policy through management of God's economy. And how we manage the budget that God gives through you determines how well you can implement God's policies in your life and in your family. We we are a disciple-making church, so you may learn and you may earn But in God's grand scheme, you learn and you earn so that you can administrate. You can implement God's policies of administration through God's economy, his resources, his budget. Do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? Verse 4, I'm resolved what to do, that when I'm put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. Who are the they? Well, they're defining the next verse. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and sit down quickly, because this is a limited time offer, and write fifty. Then said he to another, And how much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill. And write four score and seven years ago. And and the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children light. I think so. I mean, I think almost everybody uh, is bought into sometime a reti- retirement program. Either through your work or someplace else. And if not that, well, then you're automatically bought into sh- Social Security and even in a secular sense, you do what you should do to prepare... The things for yourself in the future. And because he was a steward, he's got the power to abate their rent. So, so, so he holds an after-Christmas sale for his master's customers. And you will notice the landlord was at least getting something now. He got 50 barrels today instead of just the promise of 100 next year. And here's our fourth point for study. Jesus wants your obedience today. Jesus wants your obedience now in order to prepare you for his purpose for your soul in eternity. Verse nine, and I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. Now wait, here's some of the riches of, you know, the English Bible, mammon, is the Aramaic name for a Persian god. And the reason that the James gang left it untranslated, and the reason, I think, that it disappears in the CSB and the ESV and the NASB and the NIV, is because two things. Both, it makes money personal, and secondly, it shows you the spiritual tendency toward idolatry, with money. So Jesus doesn't say make make friends with mammon. Friends of the mammon means make friends from the mammon. Use unrighteous money to help others financially and make friends. So the steward takes what is used by the rich man as an instrument for his unrighteousness and he converts it into friends for his own future. And that phrase everlasting habitations means so that you are set for the rest of your life. And that's exactly what you do when you biblically structure your giving and you start tithing and then you move from tithing to giving an offering and you even progress up to sacrificial giving. We enable you to turn what is used by the world as an instrument of unrighteousness and convert that into eternal relationships based on ministry so this is an incredible power that we have in biblical structured giving and jesus likens what the unjust steward did to having an eternal perspective in stewarding your resources the steward acted with vision for the future so once we get the definitions down then we need to crystallize the principles Because within the Bible are principles that will allow you to take your physical resources, normally used for unrighteous purposes, or at least a-righteous, a-moral purposes, and bear eternal fruit with them as ministry runs on the rails of your relationship. So, if you look at your handout, Exodus 22, verse 29, Thou shalt not delay to offer the first of thy ripe fruits and of thy liquors. The firstborn of thy son shalt thou give unto me likewise shalt thou do with thine oxen and with thy sheep seven days it shall be with his dam with his mother (coughs) on the eighth day thou shalt give it me wait now hold it that's the first day of the week that's sunday so it was all gods but the first tenth had to be brought to god personally on sunday and dedicated for use at the temple And if you wanted the blessing that only he could provide over the stewardship of the other nine-tenths, that's the way it had to be done. Even the firstborn children were his, although they were purchased back by giving another offering in their place. So, his is not the leftovers. Yours is the leftovers. I mean, if you can call 90% leftover. But that's only true if you are tithing. So if I let you bring what is left over after you pay other bills so that you decide what God should get and you tip God instead of God telling you Then I cripple you because the first tenth shows you who is first in your life and when God's not put first he backs off, he hides, he ducks around the corner he won't look you in the eye he He won't say hello. He disappears. You say, Alan, I can't believe that. I mean, that sounds so childish. I think you're over-dramatizing this giving thing. God would never do that because he loves me unconditionally. Uh, Okay, Deuteronomy 31, 17, "...then my anger shall be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them." So that they will say in that day, are not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day for all the evils which they shall have wrought in that they turned unto other gods like mammon. Uh, Deut- Deuteronomy 32, 20. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a very froward generation, not forward or backward, not hot nor cold. They're lukewarm, not forward or backward, side to side. That's froward. They move like a snake. Children in whom is no faith. When I said, test me, you just try and break me. They didn't even have enough faith to do that. And the only way you teach your children to respond to God from a position of faith is by you biblically funding your ministries because talk is cheap. And when we do not do this, it becomes a contributing factor to the deterioration of the mental health of your children in our society. If you do not proceed from a position of faith, it is much harder for them. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying they're not responsible. I'm just trying to tell you how much harder you make it for them. So this is one of those cases where you need it more than we do. Watch Philippians 4 verse 15. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia... Where Philippi is at, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, and wait, I was only there three Sabbath days, ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. God does not give us what is left, and yet we won't give him what's first. And to treat him less than first or give him less than the best, the first first, is to put yourself in a place of judgment and not blessing. So let me just bottom line it. God does not need to have everything you own. God needs to own everything you have. Then he needs you to manage it with him as the first priority. What should I tell you about biblical funding? Well, I do find some minimums on biblical stewardship. Number one, give to your church, not other organizations. I mean, whatever an employer takes out of your paycheck to the United Way, that ain't your tithe. And, uh, you know, whatever you spend buying a new Bible, that ain't your tithe. God defines what the tithe is and what, where it should be brought to his storehouse so there is meat in his house, parachurch ministries, electronic ministries, they don't count. Why would you give to some place You cannot have eyes on the ground as to exactly how they're spending it. I mean, haven't we learned (laughs) that's not a good idea? Number two, give with a goal, not indiscriminately. So when I came into the sanctuary here in the Sanctonatium this morning, went by the desk there in the lobby, the welcome desk, and I, I picked up one of these cards because it's got a link and it'll take you to everything Dave Dave Ramsey has got. We bought, we paid for you to have access. Take this link, register online, get the app, and you can use all of his tools to assist you to plan your budget. You know, here's the problem, you have a budget, you just don't know what it is. You have a budget, you have a fixed amount, usually fixed amount coming in, every paycheck, and certain variable amounts going out every month. You just don't know what it is. So you have a budget, but you are such a bad steward. Figure out how much is 10% of what God is giving you every pay period, and then put that in the plate, in the box, or online every time. I mean, this is how much faith I have in you that you're going to do the right thing. We paid so you could get access to that. And the bonus is, on the back side of the card, we give you access to Right Now Media, which is like a Christian Netflix. And I'm, you know, I'm not saying they have anything to complete Pete, with Yellowstone. I'm just saying that you know, it'll be better for you to watch that sometimes instead of the alternatives. Number three, progress, pro- progressively mature in your giving over time. So use the flat tax of 10% as your starting point only because you do know there were two ways that you could rob God in the Old Testament. If you look at Malachi 3 verse 8, it says, Will a man rob God, yet ye have robbed me? But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? Oh, here's wherein, in tithes and offerings. A tithe is required. An offering is a gift above what the requirement is. And that is what allows you to mature in your giving when you have so much discretionary income. And if you don't have much discretionary income, it allows you to graduate to sacrificial giving because tithing ain't no sacrifice. Nobody ever went bankrupt for tithing. I'm just saying. Number four, give to people over projects. Do not consider something else as an opportunity to give until you take care of your church family first. Look, I'll book chapter verse it for you, Galatians 6.10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men. But wait, hold it, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Invest in God's house house, because that is your own spiritual family. 1 Corinthians 9.11. If we have sown unto you spiritual things... I mean, this blows me away. This, this is so incredible. Paul talks about the Macedonians and how they give so much out of their extreme poverty. And then the Corinthian church, which was obviously the most affluent, richest church in the entire New Testament, they get all T. Nietzsche with this, this type of talk that you know we're getting on biblical uh, funding and, and stewardship and stuff like that. and you know so they start grumbling and saying things, and Paul just says, "Look." If we've sown unto you spiritual things, man, that's riches, you, your family. Is it any great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? Well, no, it is, it is not. It is, it is an appropriate thing. It's even a small thing. It's no big deal for us to ask you to give your money in support of the needs of this church and the ministries of this church and the leaders of this church You say, well, Alan, what if I do not? Well, you're asking good questions this morning. God opens a window into your future. Jeremiah 50, verse 6, My people hath been lost sheep. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. They've turned them away on the mountains. They've gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. They have no contentment because they have no godliness because they've not been managing their resources for God's mission. And in that case, it was the pastor's fault. Because here's our fifth point for study. Falling into deception is the natural result of not managing your stewardship for God. Why? Because money is mammon and it will be the God. Unless you do what God says. Well, you know, when I get that promotion, I'll start tithing. You know, when I, when I get out of school, I'll start tithing. When I finally get out of debt, I'll start tithing. You know, when I get out of this apartment, I'll start giving. You know, I cannot, in good conscience, give you the excuses by which you, like Judas, are going to go out and hang yourself. I just can't do it. People who make the priority themselves, and they take care of themselves first, f- the Bible says they fall into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown them in destruction and perdition, First Timothy 6, 9. But look at our final point for study. Biblically structuring your giving puts you on God's timeline for what he wants to do in you and with your life. So after commitment to his mission, after the mission, the thing that Jesus talked about most was money. And the reason for that is simple. Some people will give up anything just to keep from giving their money even to God. So that is why money is always a litmus test of consecration, just like the Bible says. Therefore, I've got to give you, I know that as your pastor, I've got to give you all the biblical opportunities to use your money to serve God in the mission. If you do not you will love money and money will use you and you will make friends with money instead of using money for relationships in ministry which will set you up for eternity. And after tithing and offering, God will then speak to your heart individually to support somebody that you know directly in a missions endeavor on your behalf. You know, some cross-cultural minister doing there what you're doing here and And so it goes tithe, offering, sacrificial giving, just like we teach in our discipleship lesson. But let me end by giving you a focus today. I want to give you a focus on the unlimited results of faithful stewardship. These are the goals that I have by doing this short sermonic study on the hard work of grace giving. First, the goal of tithing is to aim for transformed lives. So stewardship truths do not just fund and budget, you know, a budget for our church and pay the bills for ministry. They transform lives on the basis of discipleship. Second, the goal of an offering is to connect people to this church's ministry. So funding the budget in biblical reality ties people to ministry in this church. So when you go above tithing, uh, you know, to, for, to, which is the money that we use to, cover all the things like replacing the roof and you designate specifically to other things as listed on our website that connects you directly to those ministries and the fruit that comes up there and the reward from the fruit that comes up there now word to the wise here is sufficient because I know that looks really enticing but you can't rob Peter to pay Paul so if you do not tithe okay but then we can't spend $75,000 get our roof fixed and, and you know, and that's why tithing is the first of the first fruits. And what that means is, if you're not tithing, you're not really qualified to designate an offering over and above anything else. And obviously, we use the honor system. Nobody looks over your shoulders, least of all me. But you need to study how many times in the New Testament it talks about the value of a good conscience before God. Third, the goal of sacrificial giving is to provide spiritual vision. And that's exactly what we did at our GO conference. And we do in our support of missions and missionaries for you. So we as a church take, uh, you know, for all practical purposes, the way I describe it, take a tenth off the top. That becomes our missions budget. And that's why I require people who are sent out from our church to give us a detailed written plan of their vision, their mission, and then budget how their finances are tied to that ministry. Same way as in the church budget report I gave you this year. If you, didn't get, if you were not at the 30th anniversary worship night, pick one out, pick one up out, on the, out in the lobby. Because here's what I think. No one has a vision for missions who does not give to missions. That's what I think. No one acts sacrificially who does not give a sacrificial offering, at least not for long. So these truths about giving are tied to the very integrity of our church and the spiritual health, welfare of your family. You know, there was a businessman one time and he met a genie. And it wasn't Aladdin's genie, so he didn't have three wishes. He said, look, I can only grant you one. And the businessman thought about it in a second. He said, okay, bring me the newspaper of the uh, stock market prices one year from today. That's all I need. Uh, Just show me the quotes, and I'll know exactly what to do with my money. I will know which stocks are going up. I will know which ones to stay away from. Jeannie said, no problem. Your wish is my command. So the genie produced a stock report one year from that day, and that man began to look at those prices, and he started to smile, and he began to make decisions about where he's going to invest his money, and he looked at the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 and and the Dow Jones. He's going to find the best investments for the most return, but all of a sudden, he scrolls past the stock prices down to a different section of the news, and he's shocked and, and tears began to well up in his eyes, because there in the obituaries was his name and picture. Today, I showed you exactly what to do with your money. In the Bible, there was a man who had so much stuff, I mean, so much he'd harvested I mean, it's just like us. We got to, you know, we got to go to these, put our stuff in these rental places and get new stuff. But we don't want to let go of the old stuff. So we, you know, we rent out rooms because we don't have enough room. And, and he said, uh, okay, I got to tear down my barns. And I got to build bigger ones. And he said in Luke 12, 18, and there will I bestow all my fruits and all my, I ain't giving any of it away. I'm going to take it all. I'm going to put it right there. Verse 19 says he was saving for his rest and his recreation in retirement. That night he died, and Jesus' conclusion in Luke twelve twenty one is this. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. All you need to do is exactly the thing. I've showed you exactly what to do with your money. All you need to do is exactly the thing God shows you with your income, with your money. Every head bowed, every eye closed, My time is up. I thank you for yours. You know, the more important question this morning is not what should you do with your money. The more important question is what have you done with your soul? Because the way Jesus phrases it in Luke 12 verse 20 is, Thou fool, this night (coughs) thy soul shall be required of thee. Saved or lost, there will be a moment when God requires your soul to appear before him. Whether after the rapture or the resurrection for the Christian, who will appear before the judgment seat of Christ, where we will not be judged as a sinner. I mean, if you've been born again, then all of your sins were put on Jesus and paid for by his finished work on the cross. But you will be judged as a servant and a son. In other words, as a steward. But if you're here today and you're not yet saved, you've never yet been born again, then your soul will be required to pay for your own sins. And you will pay by an eternal death, because even then God does not get out of you everything you owe his offended holiness. The only thing that pays everything that's owed was the blood of his son shed upon the cross. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have. He gave, so we would get everlasting life. Verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth is given. I mean, you didn't have to even do anything for it to get there. You were born that way. We were all born that way. That's why we have to be born again. So if you're here and you're not yet saved, Jesus has a promise for you. That promise is everlasting life, life after death, a purpose for eternity for your soul. You know what regrets you have. You know what messes you made. You know how guilt is messing with you now. Don't you want all of those sins forgiven? You can't do anything to get it. You you just need to pray with me. Pray with me right now. Just pray and say, God, I believe on Jesus today for everlasting life. I believe so I receive. Hear Jesus, I give you my life. God, make me born again right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and stand. Let's uh, get ready for the praise team to send us out singing. If you prayed that today, then I wish you would come up here either right now or while we're singing as soon as we get done and uh, meet one of our personal workers here at the front. I want to give you a copy of my book, Next Steps for New Believers. I don't know. You know that did not make coming up here like that doesn't make you a member. But if you want to be a member, you can come up and let us know. Or you know, if you want to say, "Wow, that baptisms, that was neat." I you know, I I want to get saved or I am saved, but I've not been baptized like that, by immersion in a, you know a correct way. Uh, I sign me up. I want to do it next time. Okay, come up here and let us know. Next Sunday we will be back in Daniel, which we're taking a chapter at a time, because chapter ten. Teaches you everything you need to know about angels, demons, and spiritual warfare. So be here and bring a friend so we can give you a map to the coming kingdom. Praise team, send us out singing.